Well, this morning we find ourselves in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and the logic of being in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is this. Last week we were in Acts 17, where Paul preached at the Areopagus. He preached to the Greeks at Mars Hill. Following that, Acts 18 covers Paul's transition to Corinth. And it's when Paul gets to Corinth that Silas and Timothy rejoin him. And while in Corinth, he hears how the church that he planted in Thessalonica is doing. And so while he's in Corinth, which is covered in Acts 18, he writes a response to the church at Thessalonica. And so this week and next week, we're going to look at First and Second Thessalonians because the period that's covered in Acts 18, that's when Paul writes those letters back to the church in Thessalonica. If that makes any sense at all, please stand for the reading of God's word. Remember, beloved, these are the very written words of God. Paul writes, now concerning brotherly love, you need... You have no need for anyone to write you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declared to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Indeed, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever, and may he add his blessing to it. You may be seated. It was probably now, it's hard to believe it was this long ago, it was about 20 years ago that I had a very interesting trip to the tiny town in northeastern Oklahoma called Fairfax, Oklahoma. That's where um, Stephanie's mother's side of the family lived for many years. And we were going to visit Stephanie's grandmother, Mama, and Papa Bob for a trip to have a good time. And um, her mother, her grandmother was a very interesting woman, um, had many colorful opinions on a variety of topics and was just a delight to be with. And so uh, one day I looked out the window into the backyard of the neighbor's house and noticed that he had an interesting construction project going on. It looked like he was burying two railway cars in the backyard. He was just finishing up that project, which I found fascinating. 
So I said to Mama, like, who is your neighbor and what's he doing? And I can't repeat exactly what she said about her neighbor, Cal, but she said, um, you'll just have to go ask him. I could never explain it to you. So I had my video camera with me. We need to convert that, Stephanie, into like digital format. So I said, Mama, do you think he would mind if I went over and asked him about what they're doing and maybe get some of it on video and, you know, see what's going on? And Mama said, go for it. Well, I went over there and Cal was all too happy to tell me exactly what he was doing, okay? You may not know this, but there's another planet in our solar system that he referred to as Planet X, okay? Somehow, like, you know, your, your, your local astronomer was not able to see Planet X, okay, um, with their telescopes, but it's there, okay? And the government knows about it, but the government doesn't want you to know about it because a day was coming when somehow the orbit of Planet X would somehow converge with our orbit, okay, causing a global catastrophe, okay? In fact, he said the new coastline was going to be Fairfax, Oklahoma, so I should have invested in some real estate. And he said along those lines, okay, I, I purchased two railway cars and I buried them, you know, when that would happen. And he said, would you like to come see them? I'm like, absolutely, I would love to come see them. <laughs> so I go down with Cal. We have two subterranean bunkers there, all kinds of provisions. He was a prepper. He did it right. It was very nice. If Planet X ever comes too close, he will be prepared. Um, it was causing a lot of marital tension in Cal's house. Um, he and his wife had argued about this over the years, and so when she went on a two-week trip to New York, just a couple weeks before we got there, that's when he went ahead, made the order, had the installation, so when she came home, it was too late to do anything about it. Shannon, how would you feel if Dan did something like that? It wouldn't go over really well. Sometimes confusion over the future bring lots of trouble in the present, okay? And that was certainly the true in Fairfax, and I guarantee you those bunkers are still there. Well, we can infer from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians that there was great confusion, great confusion in Thessalonica regarding the return of Jesus, okay? Do you remember how long it was that Paul was in Thessalonica preaching the gospel planting the church, establishing it. Do you remember how long he was there before he was run out of town? He was really only there three weeks. That's not a wonderful or, you know, helpful amount of time to plant a church, to disciple, train, and equip. So three weeks into his time at Thessalonica planting the church, he gets run out of town, and then he goes to Berea, and the Jews that ran him out of town from Thessalonica followed him to Berea, chased him out of Berea, and that was the occasion of his transition down to Athens. Okay, so Paul preached in Athens, ministered in Athens, then he transitioned to Corinth, and it was on his heart, wondering how in the world things were going in Thessalonica. And so when Silas and Timothy joined Paul in Corinth, Timothy tells Paul how it's going in Thessalonica, and that's the occasion of Paul writing back to the Thessalonians. And what we have in all of these books, it's like a, a one-way phone conversation. You know, we have to infer from what Paul writes 
what the issues were that were going on in Thessalonica. And we can infer from what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians that there was massive confusion regarding when Jesus was coming again. Okay, there were some in the church who believed that Jesus' second coming was happening very soon, perhaps within months. How do we know this? Because we can infer from 1st and 2nd Thessalonians that some of the Thessalonians had quit their jobs. They had stopped working. They had become busybodies. They were minding one another's businesses and causing all kinds of havoc. You know what they say about idle hands. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. So in their mind, they think Jesus is coming. He's coming again very soon. Okay, it would be like me saying to Nate, you know, like, Nate, you have a lot of money in your bank account. That's wonderful. Lots of savings. You know, there's no need for me to work and for you to work. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and quit. Okay, we'll live off your income. We won't use it all up because before it's used up, Jesus is going to come back. Okay, well, you know, days translated into weeks, translated into months and a year or more, Jesus had not returned, and this was a problem. There were people who were being idle in Thessalonica. They were freeloading off other Christians. They were getting into one another's businesses. It was a, it was a hard time. You know, it's like our in-town holiday vacations. Like Stephanie's told me one day, I am not allowed to retire, okay? Because when we have like in-town holiday vacations over Christmas and New Year's, you know, I can get a little ADD, you know, after about 48 hours, I'm ready to do things. And, you know, I'm getting into her business, finding out what's going on. She's like, you just need to go in the other room. Okay, you need to do something. Let's get a hobby. Let's do something. Go to the tennis court, you know. Um, so there were all kinds of like idle hands in Thessalonica. Okay, look what Paul says in verses 11 and 12. So again, we can infer what they were doing wrong through what Paul commends. Paul commends aspire to live quietly. There's some irony in that charge, okay? Aspire, that Greek term means like make it your ambition. Strive intensely to be quiet, okay? Aspire, make it your ambition to live quietly. Mind your own affairs, like mind your own business. Work with your hands. Get a J-O-B, okay? Work hard. Be dependent on no one, okay? Because they had serious misunderstandings regarding the timing of Jesus' return. They had quit their jobs. They were freeloading off others in the church, and they were getting into one another's business, and it was, it was problematic. That was not the kind of life that Paul wanted the Thessalonians to live, okay? But what I find fascinating... And what I want us to briefly consider this morning is Paul's portrait of the Christian life, okay? Paul's portrait of the Christian life, the picture that he paints, is different um, than the extremes that we sometimes hear. Okay, sometimes people read the book of Acts and think that Paul's missionary journeys that his missionary journeys were a template for how all of us should live individually and personally. And they're racked with guilt 
when they don't see their own situations and their own vocations, you know, comparable at all to what Paul was doing and what Paul was accomplishing. And sometimes we live in guilt and we think, you know, like, I'm just, um, how does my life compare with Paul? What am I doing for the kingdom that can compare with Paul? You know, I'm working as a banker, I'm working in finance, I'm working, you know, in this, that, or the other, you know, what am I really doing for the kingdom of God in Christ Jesus? You know, lots of people walk away from the book of Acts and they feel this sense of guilt, you know, because they think that the calling that God placed on Paul is the same calling that God places on every Christian individually. Um, some people think that when Jesus said in the Great Commission, do you remember what Jesus said in the Great Commission? Go therefore and make disciples, teaching and baptizing, okay? Um, make disciples of all men. And people sometimes draw from that that Jesus meant for everyone to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And they take from that, okay, if I don't go, and if I don't engage in cross-cultural missions to some kind of significant degree, then I'm being disobedient to the Great Commission. The Bible does not teach this, okay? And Paul certainly doesn't teach this in 1 Thessalonians. In fact, the kind of Christian life that Paul lays out and commends for God's people is kind of shocking what he says. Um, again, look at verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, aspire to live quietly. Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. Be dependent on no one. Paul does not expect all of the Thessalonians to join him in his various missionary endeavors. In fact, in Romans 15, um, Paul is talking about going to Spain, okay? He's recruiting um, people from Spain not to go with him, but he is recruiting financial support so that he can go to send him. A quiet, ordinary Christian life is a noble and commendable thing. It's a very important thing. So Paul says, um, he says here in the text, aspire to live quietly, mind your own affairs. He says, work with your hands. So most of the congregation in Thessalonica were probably, they probably worked by manual labor work with your hands. Working with your hands is a noble vocation. Okay? That is a God-honoring trade and thing to do. We should not feel guilty for working normal eight to five regular jobs. In fact, I had a dear friend come to me um, a few months ago I don't, I, don't, I don't know all the background that was going on, but was, you know, was coming and struggling with 
how have I stewarded the gifts that God has given me over the years? You know, the individual saying to me, when I, when I compare myself perhaps with other people my age who maybe have been more directly involved in vocational ministry, how in the world does my career compare? And we talked about this. God does not call everyone to work in vocational ministry. Now, we're all called to play a role in Christ's great commission. But not all of those roles look the same. Okay? God has made the body with all kinds of different members, with all kinds of different gifts. We all have different gifts. And working faithfully, quietly, respectfully, diligently, and an eight-to-five, quote-unquote, ordinary job is an incredibly noble thing to do. Um, I don't know whether I should say this or not. I'm just going to say it. Um, believe it or not, I recently got a phone call from, um, from a student, someone who's in college, who had gone to a college ministry and um, was, uh, was struggling with the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And, and this person had been taught that that imperative go was, was binding in the same way on all people. And this person wanted me to talk to their parents so that I could maybe encourage the parents to let this person go. Um, now, that's between that person and their parents, but I, again, I said... I think we've misunderstood that text. That is a command for the church as a whole to go and make disciples, but it's not binding on every church member individually in the same way. Like, like I said in Romans 15, Paul is going to Spain. He's recruiting help for him to go to Spain, but he's not recruiting them to go with him to Spain. He needs their financial help so that he can go to Spain. I'll tell you this, the church would not exist if our wonderful congregation did not engage in their quiet, ordinary eight-to-five jobs. It is because people like Jeff Crow and Dane Bowers and Jonathan Smith faithfully work week after week using their gifts for the glory of God and faithfully supporting the church that the gospel of Jesus Christ goes all over the world. All vocations that are lawful bring Jesus Christ glory. So whether you're a banker, you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a custodian, all of those things bring tremendous glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't want us to go through the book of Acts, you know, and we follow these incredibly, you know, exciting and dramatic missionary journeys of Paul and feel like our contribution to the kingdom pales by comparison. It's totally different. Um, like just working with your hands, you know, doing something that's, that's good and being faithful in your work is a tremendous witness. People are watching you. People are noticing your faithfulness. 
You know, my own son is, you know, uh, considering a career in accounting. Sometimes it doesn't sound that exciting. Sorry, Cole. Um, I think it's very exciting. I might hear about that later. Um, but sometimes people, you know, in, in, in particular, you know, vocations like that, you're like, is this really, people struggle, is this really what I should be doing with my life? You better believe that that's a wonderful thing to do with your life. You know, I'm an attorney, you know, and I, there's a million different pathways for attorneys. You know, and they think, I'm just, I'm doing all this paperwork every day. Is this really? Yeah, you better believe that that's a wonderful vocation. And it makes a massive, massive difference in this world. And the example that we set for our children by faithfully working, living quietly, minding our own business, not being busybodies, not being gossips, but being faithful in the places that God, by his providence, has put us. Whether you're a home builder, building homes to the glory of God, being faithful to those under your care, those who are employed within your company. Huge difference. I mean, honestly, that's where the Great Commission happens. I have been in ministry long enough to know that all of you make a much greater impact than any of us as ministers. It's not even close at the end of the day. Real ministry happens here, no question. But real ministry happens at your office. Real ministry happens when your, when your coworker experiences grief and loss, okay? And they come to you for encouragement. You know, real ministry happens when you take a meal to someone who's struggling that you know at the workplace or a neighbor. That's the beauty of the Great Commission, is the Great Commission is really happening all the time, quietly, all around us. Your vocations matter. And I was telling Allison Averett this week, you know, in the category of, I wish I could have that one back, you know, unfortunately I have a lot of those in ministry, I wish I could have that one back. Um, my dad, one of the only Bible studies my dad has ever gone to that I have taught is probably 15 years ago. My dad was here, uh, uh, well, probably 16 or 17 years ago. It was, a, it was a Bible study that was in the context when I was at PCPC, and there was a men's group that I was leading. My dad came here, and he came to the Bible study, and I think in my desire and zeal to kind of like, I was really taught, I mean, like, I was talking to the other people, but I was really talking to him, you know what I mean? I was kind of using them to indirectly talk to him, and I was over the top in terms of part of my, I think, my challenge with the Great Commission or whatnot, um, and I just, I have felt convicted about it for years. And I feel like I lost an opportunity because I, I, I made an emphasis that the Bible does not, does not make. I was too intense. I was too over the top. Paul writes, to Christians, aspire to live quietly. That doesn't mean you can't share the gospel as, as you have the opportunity with your neighbor. But aspire to live quietly. 
Mind your own affairs. Work with your hands. Be dependent on no one. That is a wonderful expression of the Christian life. I just want to commend you. You're living this out where you live, work, and play. I've seen you do it. You're faithful in doing it. At times you might doubt, how is the Lord using you, friends? He is using you in very significant ways. Don't ever doubt that. Don't feel guilty that you're not doing great things for God. Beloved, this, this is the expression of great things for Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you and praise you for text such as these. We thank you for um, the beautiful tapestry of your word. As Spurgeon commended at the beginning, search the scriptures. We thank you for how how balanced they are, how full-orbed they are. Father, we thank you in particular this morning for this, um, this different window into the normal, ordinary, wonderful Christian life. Father, I thank you that from what, can, from what I can see, our, our people at Providence Presbyterian Church are, are actively living this out. I thank you for the members of Providence who, who do aspire to live quietly and faithfully, who mind their own affairs, who work hard with their hands and their vocations. Father, and I pray that you would bless that and honor that. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage our people that they are doing exactly what you have called them to do. Father, I pray that you would use all of us, respective, um, irrespective of the parts of the vineyard that we're all laboring in. Father, use us in our respective places in the vineyard. Use our gifts. Use where you have placed us, Father, to be witnesses and ambassadors for you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.